it is under one's control. So mind does not offer any resistance, or mind is free from any distraction, and therefore mind is composed, abiding, available to oneself, jitātmā, one who has gained a mastery over the mind. <coughs> Jigata-spruhaha, because the mind is free from spruha, free from longing. If there is longing for something, mind will naturally be directed towards the object of longing. And so if I want to see something, if I want to hear something, if I want to read something, if I want to whatever it is that I want to do, seeking some great gratification or pleasure, and so longing means a strong desire. Then naturally my mind is going to be focused upon that object of desire, vigatasprahaha, free from longing. Having discovered again that sufficiency from within oneself. So therefore, this process of what we call the antahakashuddhi, purification of mind, also the process of progressively discovering the sufficiency with one's own self, a comfort with oneself. As we always been saying, the main problem that a human being has is discomfort with my own self, self-non-acceptance, or dissatisfaction with my own self. <coughs> I'm not happy with myself, I don't accept myself, because I find that I do not live up to my own expectations of myself, or I am not what I want to be. I always see that gap between the two, what I am and what I want to be, or I like to be. Therefore, a sense of discomfort, non-acceptance, even rejection of myself. All these are one progressively discovers oneself to be an acceptable one. <coughs> and therefore, a comfort with oneself, an acceptance of oneself, they were free from longing. All the longing from the world is, I long the world to make me comfortable with myself. Since I have no comfort with myself, I want the world to do that for me, that's all. So therefore, when something becomes favorable to me, then I feel that I must be all right, and that is how I feel that I am worthy. So to feel self-worthy, to feel that I am all right also, I need the world to give me approval, give me validation, whatever it is. But when I discover that validation for myself, I do not need the world to do it anymore. Vigatasprahaha, free from longing. <coughs> this is the result of living a spiritual way of life. <coughs> and so there is a great reward. Lord Krishna said earlier, Yattadagrevishamivaparinamiamurtopam while describing three kinds of happiness or three sources of happiness. Lord Krishna said, the happiness that comes from within oneself is this that we just talked about, so that which results into what we call a lasting happiness. However, this requires a lot of work to be done. As we said, this requires constantly to recognize my likes and dislikes or attachments and aversions and subdue them. And so where my mind may come up with some demand, some ex attachment, some aversion, I replace that deliberately by a sense of duty, a sense of offering, a sense of devotion. So every time this is a deliberate effort of displacing one of my impulses with how it should be. So this is a constant process of subduing my likes and dislikes and replacing them or displacing them by the spirit of beauty, spirit of devotion. <coughs> so, this is the process, and thus, this is the result of karma yoga. And the next step, as we said here, 
is seeking pursuit of knowledge. Of course, it doesn't mean that you have to wait until this Antahagana takes place to pursue the knowledge, not that. It goes on. But still, when one gains this kind of a mind, then, then one wants to be now live a contemplative life. There's no need to perform the activities. The activities are needed so far, as I say, to be able to channelize one's inner discomfort. But when now discomfort is not there, then the mind becomes contemplative. Then, Shravanam Mananam Nididhyasaram. <coughs> gaining the knowledge and listening to the teacher, reflecting upon what it is that I have understood and assimilating what I have understood, making it my own. This is a process. Nishkarma Siddhim Paramam Sanyasena Adhigachati. Through sanyasa, through renunciation. Where the word sanyasa conventionally means giving up of the duties. And so imagine that he has given up all the duties, he has become a, a sannyasi called Vividisha sannyasi. That means he is not sannyasi or renunciate in the primary sense, he is still renunciate in a secondary sense, renunciate by way of life. But ultimate renunciation is when he gains an abidance in the knowledge. That's the real renunciation. And therefore these two words sannyasa can be interpreted in the verse 49, the word sannyasa can be interpreted in both ways. Sannyasena, through renunciation, pursuit of knowledge. He gains the knowledge and he gains an abundance in the knowledge and by way of which he gains the renunciation in the ultimate sense. <coughs> that renunciation is called naishkarma siddhi. Naishkarma itself is siddhi. The state of actionlessness is the ultimate accomplishment. Paramam siddhi. So, Earlier Siddhi, earlier accomplishment through Karma Yoga was also an accomplishment, but this is the ultimate accomplishment. Adhikachari, one gains moksha, one gains liberation even while one is alive. <coughs> How does it happen? What's the process? Siddhim prapto yatha brahma tathapnodhinibodham. Having gained Siddhi in the form of Siddhi or purification of mind, how one gains ultimate Siddhi, namely abidance? So purification of mind, first level of siddhi, abidance and knowledge, ultimate siddhi or ultimate accomplishment. So what is the process by which one proceeds from one level of accomplishment to the ultimate level of accomplishment? Nibodhame hevjuna, learn, listen to that, learn that from me. Samasenevakaunteya nishtha jnanasya paranishtha, that is ultimate abidance and knowledge. In brief, listen to me from, listen to that from me here, you know, in brief as to how one gains an ultimate abidance in the knowledge. <coughs> so this is what we call abiding knowledge, when knowledge becomes effortless. <coughs> as long as I am Brahman, I will remind myself, wait a minute, I am Brahman, so long it has not become effortless. Like, like the like the poor man becoming rich in our story. This man was a beggar for the whole of his life and all of a sudden he won a lottery and became rich overnight. So he's rich all right but he still has to own up that richness because the, the samskara, the habit of being a beggar are so deeply rooted that he behaves as a beggar. And so once when he went with his chauffeur in a chauffeur-driven car, very nice dress, 
he went to the temple where he used to live for all these years begging. Because temples always are, you know, there are beggars always lined up outside the temple because people who go to the temples are kind people and therefore they always give something. So this man had lived all his life there and so he wanted to go and have darshan and to pay his obeisance to the deity. Goes there, his car is parked on the road and he goes into the narrow street in the temple, has darshan of the Lord, goddess Mahalakshmi as a matter of fact. Mahalakshmi is the, the goddess of wealth, the goddess of riches and then he's coming out and he sees a man with a huge basket distributing laddus to the beggars. He's nowhere a beggar, but still, when he sees that something happens to him, some flashback must have happened to him. And soon before he realized, he found himself in a crowd, and because all years of experiences, he, he was able to push himself ahead and get that laddu right away. Not one, but two. And mentioning the laddu, he was returning through the narrow street and came to his car and the shopper was standing there with the door open and the shopper was watching his master munching a laddu and the shopper realized what is happening there. <coughs> or shopper may have been confused. And then this fellow realized what I had done and he acted as a beggar. You know, he just, without his knowledge, acted as a beggar. He begged the laddus. <coughs> anyway, he made up the uh, made up the situation by saying, Hey, I have brought prasad, one for me and one for you. And he gave one to the, to the shopper. But how the old habit comes back, it overtakes us. So what is also required is alertness. So the first step called Nididhyasaram can be said to be alertness. Alertness to the, the truth of myself. So my shravanam bayamanam, the knowledge that has come, has to be assimilated, I must remain alert as to who I am because all along I've been taking myself to be this body-mind complex. I've been taking myself to a mortal being and therefore that habit comes, overtakes me again and again and alertly I must push back the habit and install in its place my new status, I am Brahman. Just as the poor, the, the, the rich man now must install and establish his status, I am rich, I am rich, I am rich. Every time that beggarly tendency comes back, and so when he gets milk in the pouch, then he wash the pouch and store it, you know, that is all habit. He says, no way, no, no more necessary, I am rich. And if the cloth gets torn, then he will sue you, you know, mend it. No, not necessary, I am rich. He must remind himself. And then own up that richness. Similarly also, this wise person, I am Brahman, he should remind himself, own up that I am Brahman. And so the old habit of identifying with the body and taking myself to be a jiva, individual, and, and limited being, so it comes up again and again, and there I install this new status, I am Brahman. So by habit, mind says, I am the body. I install new status, I am Brahman. I am Brahman. I am Brahman. And then ultimately day comes when the habit is completely, you know, removed and then this true nature, I am Brahma, gets established there. This is called abiding knowledge, where no more any effort is to be made to remind that I am Brahma, I live as Brahma. This is the ultimate siddhi, this is the what we call moksha or liberation, ultimate accomplishment. 
And so from one accomplishment of the nature of antahata shuddhi purification of mind coming from karma yoga to the ultimate accomplishment of gaining and abundance of knowledge which is called moksha. So what is the process? Lord Krishna describes in the following verses, verses beginning from verse 51. Before we do that, let me also just bring to your attention what is what is being done in Shavanam, Mananam, Nizhasana. What is the fundamental thing that is to be done with reference to owning up my true nature? So this whole process can be described as just owning up myself. <coughs> How this becomes necessary? Why does it become necessary? Just to to bring again to your attention, let me write on the blackboard this few things. We looked upon it, the process of owning up oneself. What is going on right now is disowning myself and the process of owning up myself. This is how we can look up, look at this process in this manner. He is made up of these two principles, Purusha and Prakriti. The relationship between the person and what is personality is this body-mind complex. These, the relationship between the person and personality, the purusha and prakriti, the spirit and matter, the consciousness and this body-mind complex can be compared to the relationship between an actor. Sometimes Swami likes to call it the actor is A. Let us say. Actor playing the role of beggar, putting on the costume of a beggar. Actor and the costume. Something like this is the relationship between the purusha and prakriti or person and personality. In which the actor is independent of the costume, but the costume is not independent of the actor. They are separate in this sense that the actor is separate from the costume. But costume is not separate from the actor. It's not both are separate from each other, no. One is independent, actor is independent, and the beggar is dependent. The actor is independent of beggar. Actor is different from the beggar. But the beggar is not different or independent of actor. This is important. They don't stand, it's not that beggar is there and actor is in some other place. Where the beggar is, there the actor is. But where the actor is, the beggar is not. Where the beggar is, the actor is. Where the actor is, the beggar is not. Which is that when the actor goes to the green room, he casts off his costume, he is no more a beggar. So where the actor is, the beggar is not. Where the beggar is, actor is. Beggar cannot be without the actor. An actor is always independent of the beggar. Even when the actor is acting as a beggar, he is still independent of the beggar. Actor is never the beggar, he is always independent of the beggar. <coughs> what could possibly happen is that this the actor who has assumed this rule of the beggar can somehow forget his identity. And looking at himself in the mirror, what happens appears in the mirror of the beggar, it's possible that this person may think that or conclude that I am a beggar. Just imagine this kind of thing. Sometimes it happens to the actor, they get so identified with the role, they just forget who they are. So imagine that an actor is so identified with the role, that the real tears are coming from his eyes. 
And all the tears which are, you know, which are brought by whatever techniques they have, bringing tears in their eyes, but then real tears are there. A real pain. Otherwise, when an actor is acting as a beggar, he knows very well that I am an actor, I am a very wealthy person, therefore, he can effectually, you know, show the, the expression of the beggar without inside feeling to be a beggar. <coughs> but it is possible that he may perhaps forget the identity and take himself to be a real beggar. That's something like that is happening here. There is Purusha, the person, who is always a complete being. Whether he knows it or not, whether he knows or not, he is a complete being. The ignorance does not in any way deny the completeness that he is, and therefore all that he has to do is to know that he is complete being in one of that fact. And this body-mind complex always incomplete. Both are all right in their own place. There is no problem. There is no, nothing, no difficult, no problem that the body-mind complex is incomplete. Okay. As long as it is known to be my costume, it's all right that the costume is beggar. The beggarness is the costume, not an actor. And as long as the distinction is clear, actor has no difficulty in acting as a beggar. The problem comes is when the purusha, the person, takes himself to the prakriti, when the actor takes himself to the beggar, and then the suffering, the real suffering of the beggar, suffering of the beggar becomes his suffering. The problems of the role become his problems. <coughs> Similarly also, on account of identifying with this body-mind, with prakriti, the body-mind complex, the personality, this person, the complete being, takes himself to incomplete, takes this personality to himself and therefore suffers from a sense of incompleteness. And the actor suffering from a sense of being poor, even though he is a wealthy person, and similarly also the self, the complete being, suffering from a sense of incompleteness, even though he is a complete being, even when he is suffering. The tenth man, even when he is searching for the tenth man, he is a tenth man. But since it is not known that therefore, the fact that he stands man does not become useful to him. Similarly also the fact that I am a complete being, it is not enough that I am a complete being, it is necessary to know that I am a complete being. And incompleteness that I am feeling is not a reality about me, it is merely a projection, it is merely a conclusion or a notion. And therefore bondage is nothing more than a notion, and liberation is nothing more than removal of the notion. And how that is a deliberate process. How do you do that? By deliberately de-identifying from the personality. The identification has happened because of ignorance, because of habit. And now what you deliberately do is the process of de-identification. What is happening is the limitations belonging to the body, belonging to mind, belonging to intellect, belonging to sense, all these limitations are just superimposed upon the person. 
And that's how the person, the self, takes himself to be an incomplete being and suffers from a sense of incompleteness. And then struggles to become complete. Except that all his struggle to become complete originate from his taking for granted that he is incomplete. So human being never in fact takes time to analyze whether the incompleteness I am feeling about myself, whether that is a reality about myself or not. It is taken for granted that I am an incomplete being and that becomes the basis of whatever I do. And therefore, every action that I perform becomes a struggle on my part to become complete. Except that incomplete can never become complete. And therefore, this struggle to become complete never becomes successful. I can become, I can do something with incompleteness, bring about some modifications there, but still, as I said, the distance between one dollar and infinity is infinity. Between hundred and infinity also is infinity. Between thousand and infinity, distance is still infinity. Between a million and infinity, distance is still infinity. So regardless of what I do, from one I bring it to ten, hundred, thousand, million, billion, whatever I do with the personality, still the distance within the completeness remains an infinite distance. Thus, one cannot become complete one is recognized that one is complete. That is why there is a case for knowledge. From action now, we come to knowledge. In fact, karma yoga also is performing action on the basis of my completeness rather than on the basis of my incompleteness. Let's go faking. That I am a complete being. What, what shall I do? Oh, Swami, if I was a complete being, I would be just generous. I would just give. I would, you know, I would be kind. I would, then do that, you know. As though you are complete, be generous, be kind, be loving, be giving. That's karma yoga. So, what we call samsara is accepting incompleteness as real and functioning from the platform of incompleteness. And what's called yoga? Yoga is functioning from the platform of completeness. Even though I'm not complete, I act, I fake, I believe, you know, I act as though I'm complete. So that in course of time, I discover that fact. So that first step is called yoga. And second step is then recognizing this superimposition. That is identification and de-identifying the process. That's all it is. <coughs> so that is what happens in Sarvanam, Mananam, Dhyasaram. So we listen to the teacher, we unfold the scriptures. There is a vivek or discrimination, a distinction between the self and non-self. <clears throat> and so if you read, as I said last night, the first book, Tattvavodham, Atma, Kaha, what's the nature of the self? Sthula, Sukshma, Karana, Sharidat, Vikripta, the one who is different from the gross, subtle and causal body. Panjakoshatitaha, the one who transcends or is beyond the five seeds, Yannamaya, Pranamaya, Manamaya, Vijnanamaya, Anandamaya, Avasthatra, Sakshi, Sanna, one is a witness of the three states of the mind, waking, dream and deep sleep. So he is not the body, he is not the three states of mind, awareness, he is not the five seeds, then what is Satchidananda, Satchidananda. So the nature of the service, Satchidananda. That's how Vedanta 
Help, help helps us, you know. Body. That's one way of describing the personality. How does she? Annamaya, pranamaya, manumaya, the sheet made of food and made of prana and made of mind and made of intellect and whatever. Or the stage. So long the teacher and the scriptures make us see this fact. Like the gross body, subtle body, causal body, you are not. The waker, the dreamer, the deep sleeper, you are not. Who are you? You are the very witness. You are the one that imparts the existence and awareness to them. You are the nature of self-existence, chit awareness, I am the fullness, that's your nature and that's the, that's the reason why the body is so dear to it. Because you are imparting the existence to that, so you are the one that imparts the existence and intelligence and, and sentiency to this body-mind complex. And thus there is what we call viveka, discrimination between the self and non-self, person and personality. As a result of this teaching, then, what do we recognize ultimately is that the person, Satchidananda, is actionless. Bhutrupa, all of these belongs to the personality. So who performs the actions? The personality. Who is talking? The organ of speech. What is listening? The organ of hearing. Although I say that I am talking. And so when I said, I am talking, in the non-self, the talking belongs to the organ of speech, non-self. The hearing belongs to the organ of hearing, non-self. So what we are doing is, we are in fact lumping together. We have combined the lump, self and non-self. And we have to separate them. Recognize this fact, that the talking takes place in my presence. I am the very conscious presence. And the consciousness in presence of whom? The talking takes place. The hearing takes place. This was said in the fifth chapter. Nevakanchit karomedi yukto manyeta tattavit. The wise person knows that I do not do anything. Pasyan, shrinvan, sprushan, jighan. So while seeing, hearing, talking, walking, eating, drinking, Breathing, sleeping, by doing all these day-to-day -day activities, while he is doing this, what does he say? I do not do them. The actor, while begging, he says, I do not beg. Hey, wait a minute, we saw him begging. He says, you saw me begging, I still don't beg. In what sense? The actor says, while begging, he says, I do not beg. What do you mean by that? The begging takes place at the level of costume, but he has a clear awareness. That who am I? I am the actor. And begging is merely a role that I am playing. Even though I am begging, I am not the beggar. There is this clarity of the knowledge. This is called not doing while doing. So Lord Krishna brings up this theme again and again in Bhagavad Gita. As you understand that becoming free from action is not just dropping, giving up the action. But recognizing the fact that even when action is taking place, in fact, you are not doing action. 
You are the actionless self even when the action is taking place. And therefore, the self, identifying with or wearing the costume of the organ of speech, calls himself the speaker. Like an actor putting on a costume calls himself the beggar. Same self, identifying with the organ of hearing, calls himself hearer. And identifying with some other eye calls himself seer. Identifying the mind calls himself thinker. Identifying the intellect calls himself knower. Identifying the faculty of walking calls himself walker. So speaker and talker and walker and seer and hearer and thinker and knower. Just imagine, if one self can take all these roles, is it not that he should be different from all of that? If one actor can appear now as a beggar and then appear as king, then appear as minister, and thus and then appear in all these different roles. Does it not, is it, does it not make sense or to understand that actor must be different from all the roles, otherwise he could not assume the different roles? Where one crystal now appears as red, and then appears as green, and then appears as yellow, is it not that the crystal must really free from all these colors? And thus, the self, the fact that he can identify with all these different aspects of personality, shows that in fact he is free from them all. All of them are in him, but he is not in them. The beggar is in the actor, the actor is not in the beggar. This is the relationship. <coughs> Since the separation is not between the two separate things, if self and non-self are standing apart, then that separation would have been easier. But where the self is, where the non-self is, the self is. Where the beggar is, the actor is. Where the actor is, beggar is not. This is what we recognize. Where the personality is, the person is, because the personality cannot be the other person. Where the person is, person can share off the personality and can recognize his status as totally free from this limitation of personality and this is what one has to do. Not by pulling out the personality, but by dropping the identification of the personality. Therefore, what is to be done is dropping the identification, that's all. And this is what is done during Shravanam, Mananam, Vedhyasana. That's the process. And that's the process of converting that sannyasi karma yogi into the primary sannyasi, what we call the Vidvat sannyasi or the sannyasi in the primary sense. <coughs> belongs to the personality of the prakriti, and while all actions take place, even then, the self is ever the actionless. So recognizing myself, the recognizing myself to be actionless is a real freedom from action. Freedom from action is not, not doing action. Lord Krishna says you don't have the freedom to give up action anyway. Subsequently you will told, even if you give up the action, action will catch hold of you. Because there is something within you that will always impel you to act. So freedom from action is not giving up the action. A real freedom from action is recognizing that I'm actionless. And therefore, that freedom is taught in two steps. Freedom from action is taught in two steps. Number one, first is doing the right action. And second is recognizing the self is actionless. Doing the right action is called karma yoga. Recognizing the self as actionless is called jnanam or knowledge. So karma and jnana. So yoga and sankhya, these are two things that Lord Krishna is teaching. And so recognition 
of this actionless self is the real sannyasi. Does anything to recognize the self as sannyasi is the real sannyasi. Whether this person wears orange robes or not is immaterial. And even after wearing orange robes also, if this knowledge is not come, still is immaterial. So what is material is gaining this knowledge and gaining an abundance in that knowledge. Because the habitual error is so strong that it takes, it's a process to become free from that habitual error. The, the identification is so habitual that the identification becomes quite a process. And ultimately, all of one's nature is actionlessness, doing the wrong actionless in spite of action. That is the ultimate sannyasa in Vedanta is called Vidvatsanyasa. Renunciation by virtue of knowledge. So renunciation by virtue of doing the right action. Renunciation by virtue of giving up the duty. Renunciation by virtue of knowledge. And so we can understand the three levels of renunciation. <coughs> doing the right action. Second is Vividisha sannyasa, giving up the duties. This is done deliberately, you know, this is called sannyasa taken by within, by the by ritual. And third is Vidvat sannyasa, abiding in the knowledge of actionless self. This is a sannyasa that Lord Krishna is teaching, Vidvat sannyasa. All along, Lord Krishna is teaching sannyasa. Which sannyasa? Abiding in the knowledge of the actionless self. And that is called Siddha Prajna. He is called Bhakta. He is called Gumatita, he is called all kinds of things in Bhagavad Gita. So you find the same description given. Description of the same one is given in different from different standpoints. And so, now whether this middle step, oh Vividisha Sanyasa should be there or not, sometimes one can debate that. As I said, Shankaracharya believes that the middle step of giving up the duties, and taking sannyas in the form also is required, but Lord Krishna does not seem to specifically, explicitly talk about that, and therefore we may imagine that as far as Lord Krishna is concerned, perhaps Karma Yoga, doing the right action, will lead to the Vidya sannyasa abiding in the knowledge. So this is how we imagine this is Lord Krishna doesn't seem to be too favorable to giving up action. He wants you to always do things and participate. He doesn't want people not to do things. Therefore, the Western culture, this Vidya Sanyasa can be removed, you know. For the Indian culture it's okay because there is a provision there. There is a psyche, there is, you know, there is a whole samskara there of that kind of a sannyasa and therefore people have no problem with this sannyasa. I shouldn't say people have no problem. They have problem. They may suddenly ask this question, Swamiji, is it necessary to become a sannyasa? Did King Janaka become a sannyasi? There is a great example. King Janaka. Janaka was king and was still a, a wise person. He never took sannyasa. That's fine. If you think that you are King Janaka, don't take sannyasa. So he is an exception, not a rule actually. <laughs> but anyway, but still, people do quote that. It is fine. What we have to say is that in the spirit one has to become a sannyasi. No doubt about it. Whether in form, one becomes sannyasi or not, maybe a matter of choice. But in the spirit, one has to become a sannyasi. <coughs> so, now what is Lord Krishna describing in the next five verses is a process of transformation from this karma yoga to vidva sannyasa 
And we see the description of Vivisha Sanyas in these verses, we see a person who is living a life of what a, a sannyasi, Vivisha Sanyasi would be living. Therefore we say that these verses are applicable to a Vivisha Sanyasi. <coughs> 51. In fact, uh, we should read the first three verses, 51, 52 and 53. Just let us read them together. Buddhya Vishuddhya Yuttaha Buddhya Vishuddhya Yuttaha Dhritya-atmanam Niyamyacha Dhritya-atmanam Niyamyacha Shabdhavim Vishayam Stakva Shabdhavim Vairagyam samupashritaha, Vairagyam samupashritaha, Ahankaram balam darpam, Ahankaram balam darpam, Kamam krodham parigraham, Kamam krodham parigraham, Vimutsya nirmamashantaha, Vimutsya nirmamashantaha, Brahma bhuvyaya kalpate, so see the last line, second line of verse 53, and the last two words, Brahma Bhuyaya Kalpate. He becomes fit for becoming Brahman. This person, describing these three verses, becomes fit for becoming Brahman. What is mean by fit for becoming Brahman? What is Brahman? Brahman is actionless. Becomes fit for being actionless. But you already are Brahman. Why is the question of becoming fit for becoming Brahman? Isn't it interesting? So Lord Krishna says, He becomes fit for becoming Brahman. Like this rich man becomes fit for becoming rich. What do you mean by that? He's already rich, but it's own up that richness. And similarly also, you require a certain kind of mind and all the process that we, went, that we just described. It is preparing the mind. So the mind owns up this fact that I am Brahman. That is called becoming fit for becoming Brahman. Meaning that becoming fit to recognize the fact that I am Brahman and abide in that fact. So, Brahma Veda, Brahma Yabhavati, the knower of Brahman becomes Brahman. Just as the knower of tenth man becomes tenth man. The knowing and becoming are one. And here also, the Brahman becomes Brahman. Brahman, who is being all of this Swamiji? Who is ignorant? Who is samsari? Brahman. Who is suffering? Brahman. Who is ignorant? Brahman. Who comes to know? Brahman. Because that's the only entity around. There's nothing else. And so Brahman becomes fit to know, fit to abide in the fact that it is Brahman. That requires a given kind of mind which is described in these three verses. Going to verse 51, buddhya vishuddhya yuktaha dhritya atmana mimyacha. Imagine a person now doing this separation in the mind between the self and the non-self, the person and the personality. 
So person is extremely subtle, the consciousness is extremely subtle. And therefore, you also require a mind that enjoys the subtlety. Therefore, the mind that enjoys subtlety as well as that enjoys a single-pointedness. Mind that is free from every distraction. So mind that enjoys a single-pointedness, mind that enjoys an abidance, mind that enjoys subtlety. Buddhya Vishuddhya Yuktaha One who is endowed with the mind should be. That is not Shankarajara says, Maya Rahitaya. The intellect that is free from delusion, intellect that is free from deceit, intellect that is free from such impurities, there is, all, there is very often the tendency in the mind to present itself as different from what it is, because of non-acceptance of myself, the, the tendency to present myself as different from what I am. That's called Maya, something inside and something else outside. So we should there. When the mind is very clear, what is inside is what is outside. Dhrutya Atmanam Niyamyacha Dhrutya with a firm resolve or with a fortitude Atmanam Niyamyacha Mastering the body-mind complex All of this comes because of Karma Yoga Therefore one who has mastered the body-mind complex One who is endowed with a pure mind Shabdadin Vishyam Stektva Giving up all the sense pleasures Vishayan, the sense object, Shabdadin, beginning with, with the sparsha, I mean Shabda, beginning with the sound. So Shabda, sparsha, rupa, rasa, gandha, these are the five, the sound, touch, and then sight, and, and taste and smell. So these are five-fold objects, which we perceive through our five organs of perception, tektva, giving them up. And so, giving up all the preoccupation with, enjoying the objects of pleasure. Well, he will have the minimum that he requires for sustaining his body, that's okay. So whatever one requires for sustaining the body that you have, everything else is given up. So this is a description of a sannyasi. Rāgadvesho vidasyacha And whatever one has, even for maintenance of body, whatever you have, there also no rāgadvesha, no attachment and aversion. So fact that he has given up all the sense pleasures, that means that he is basically free from attachment aversion, but with whatever little is left with him. Sometimes what happens is the person may renounce, he may, when he is living in the home, he may have one thousand things, which he renounces, and goes to a small hut, becomes a sadhu, has now ten things. But sometimes what happens is, the attachment which was there in one thousand things, it all gets focused upon those ten things. He holds on to them with his dear life, you know. Sometimes you find people fighting for simple things. Even people living in the hut, sadhus, I shouldn't mention it, but sometimes it happens. So, raga, dvesha, vidasyata, giving up the raga and dvesha, attachment and aversion, even for the things that you have. As long as the uh, commitment is clear, what happens to, to anybody is, to everybody, is that we lose sight of what we stand for. And that is the reason why sometimes taking cloth helps. It's a reminder. Swamiji, why do these Swamis wear orange cloth? So, well, we explain to them that orange is the color of the fire. And fire does two things, it burns impurities, 
and it dispels darkness. And the fire symbolizes knowledge. So this orange cloth stands for knowledge, which removes impurity to the mind and dispels ignorance. And therefore, wearing orange cloth stands for a commitment to knowledge. Although fire was always involved in all the sacrificial rituals were sacrificed performed, and therefore one who has adopted the spirit of sacrifice, which means one who has deliberately given up the objects, pleasures of the sense objects. So this orange stands for that. And why do you shave your head? Well, because a person generally has a strong attachment for the hair, and therefore, well, hair stands for all the attachments. Shaving the head meaning giving up the attachment. As far as I am concerned, it's a different hairstyle. That's all it is, you know. But it's more convenient sometimes. <laughs> but then it's more convenient, too. But that is what it is supposed to symbolize. So, Pashyannapi, Shankaracharya says in one place, Pashyannapi jana Pashyati mudaha. Look at this deluded fellow. Even while seeing, he does not see. He sees what it is that, you know, what lifestyle is adopted and still does not see because what he does is not compatible to the lifestyle that is adopted. But that is where sometimes this thing helps. It reminds you, wait a minute, what do I stand for? What do I stand for? Am I, what am I going to do is right? Is it right? So you can, you know, this helps you to drop things that you may inadvertently, by habit, by habit you may have, you may be holding on to, helps you to drop. But anyway, so keeping the objective clear is very important. When Lord Krishna talks about the 20 values in the 13th chapter of the Gita, Tattva Jnanartha the 20th value is what? Tattva Jnanartha Darshanam. Keeping in mind the Tattva Jnana, what it is that you seek to gain, that you, that you gain, that you stand to gain by knowledge of the Self. That you gain liberation, you gain the ultimate. And to gain the ultimate, then self-knowledge is the means. And for self-knowledge, sannyasa, renunciation, a means. And there was spirit of renunciation. That's Radhadvesho Vidasyaja, giving up attachment and aversion. Vivekta Sevi, Langvashi, verse 52, Vivekta Sevi, the one who resorts to solitude, so that there is freedom from external disturbances. <coughs> Langvashi, one who eats sparingly, then you will not fall asleep, you know, so eating sparingly. So Shankaraja says that this helps nidra nivartakatvena chitta prasadahetutvat grahanam. When you live in solitude, when you are free from other disturbances, then the mind remains pleasant. And when you eat sparingly, then of course the body remains alert. They never say, stay hungry, but eat sparingly. <coughs> Hitam, mitam, medhyam, Mitam, eat in measured quantity. Hitam, eat that which is agreeable to your body. Medjim, that which also is worth eating. And so, uh, Medjim means that which can be offered to God. So, and Hitam means that which is also conducive to your health. And Mitam meaning in the measured quantity. Lagvasi, <coughs> eating sparingly. Yatavak, kayamanasaha. One who is very alert and disciplined with reference to activities of the speech, body and the mind. That means one who is alert about what one does at the level of body, what one talks at the level of speech, and even what one thinks at the level of mind. One who has gained control or mastery over his speech, body and mind. 
ध्यान योग पर है मनुष्य मेरे टू ध्यान योग योग ऑफ ध्यान मेडिटेशन और कॉन्टम्पलेशन सो दिस इज वॉट इट डज ना इट्स नॉट दैट इज फ्री फ्रॉम एक्शन इज गिवन अप एक्शन इन टर्म्स ऑफ ड्यूटी स्वामी वॉट अवर कम्युनिटी सर्विस दैट इज ऑल गिवन दिस ऑल गिवन अप टाइम दैट इट हैज समथिंग टू कंट्रीब्यूट टू हिम इन कर्म योग इट इज ऑल डन इट इज सर्व दर्पज दैट इज ऑल्सो गिवन अप There is no complex, no guilt feeling in him because he knows that what he is now committed to is something of a much different level from what he was committed to earlier. Dhyana yoga parha, one who has a commitment to the contemplation of oneself. That is a primary commitment. Nityam all the time, not only fifteen minutes in the morning and fifteen minutes in the evening. Dhyana yoga parha, nityam. The nityam all the time goes with each one of them. Vivekta sevi, lagvasi, not now and then. All of these qualifications, nityam, all the time. Vairagyam samupasita hai. And one who is reserved to the spirit of dispassion, vairagya. Although ragadvesho vidasita, there also vairagya means one who, who is possessed of the dispassion, meaning possessed of the freedom from raga and dvesha. Ahankaram, balam, darpam, kamam, krodham, parigraham, vimuchya. Much giving up for ahankaram, the ego. I am so and so, and so. Mahakulap pasuto ham. I am come from. I come from a great family. Mahatam shishya. You know who my teacher is. You know, so you can you can have pride from many things. You know, you know who my grandfather was. He was a great scholar. You know who my uncle was. He was so and so. And therefore, I am something. You know, because of them. You know who my teacher is. Such and such, and therefore, I'm the disciple of a great teacher. I'm the son of a great father. <coughs> People can find different things for being proud, anyway. But essentially, the pride, ahankaram, mamuchya, giving up this pride that comes from the personality. If I want to love the person, I have to give up the attachment, my pride coming from the personality. And so, dropping that is fine. I am intelligent. That's all right. Intelligence also is given to you by God. I am very strong, given to you by God. All of this is gift. And therefore, a spirit of humility, balam, that that force or the strength that comes on account of karma, krodha, the passions, you know, the lust and anger, and all of these also give us a lot of force, avega, giving them up. Sometimes the position also gives you a force, gives you a power, and so giving up all those things also. That means giving up any false pride, giving up also any kind of. Power that you may have, that is coming not from the non-self. There is a power that comes from the self. That's a different power. There is a power that comes from humility. It's one kind of power. The power that comes from pride. That's another kind of power. And therefore, giving up the power from humility is the power of the self. Power from pride is the power of the non-self. So, giving up those kind of powers, darpam, giving also this vainfulness, darpa. When you sometimes become happy, then also you forget. Darpa is a is a, is a is an attitude of the mind where you just transgress the code of conduct. Don't care, you know. That's called darpa. So rusto drupyadi drupto dharmam atikramadi. When one person becomes too happy, you know, elated, then he becomes vainful, and when he becomes vainful, he sometimes transgresses even the code of conduct. So darpa. Kamam, krodham, giving the kama, giving the desire, krodha, the anger, parigraham, all kinds of possessions, unnecessary possessions. We would say, give up. 
Virmamaha. Free from sense of ownership. Even for the few things that he has kept with himself for the maintenance of the body, Virmamaha. Free from sense of ownership. And therefore, what does he become? Shantaha. So, see in these three verses, Lord Krishna has essentially described all the things that cause Ashanti, that's all. So, this Ahankara, Bala, Darpa, Kama, Krodha, Parigraha, Mamata, all of these in fact cause Ashanti or cause disturbance in the mind. Having given up all these factors that cause disturbance in the mind, Shantaha, one who enjoys the silence or peace in the mind. Brahma Bhuyaya Kalpade. One who enjoys us an abiding peace in the mind because all the factors that cause the disturbance in the mind having been dropped off, Brahma Bhuyaya Kalpade, he becomes fit for becoming Brahman. So, this is a description of this person who is committed to the pursuit of knowledge and committed to Nididhyasanam, committed to contemplation of owning up the fact that I am Brahman. Okay, we'll continue. Om Purnamadah Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachyate Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnameva Vashishyate Om Shanti 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 Shankaram Shankaracharyam Keshavam Vadarayanam Sutra Bhashakruta Vande Bhagavanta Punapunaha Ishvara Guru Ratmedi Murti Bheda Vibhagine Vilma Vadyapta Dehaya Dakshina Murtae Namaha Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Shri Guru Bhyo 